Gods to Ghosts Volleyball Podcast with your host, Scott Bemke, for part two of our interview with Jay Hanseth. Let's get started here with part two. All right, Jay Hanseth, in 1984, the uh, strike came about at the Redondo Beach World Championships, and um, there's some controversy with that. You and Fishburn crossed the picket line. The players who picketed have their side of the story. Events concepts, group dynamics have their side. And you and Andy have your side and the other players that competed in it. So this is going to be fun to get your perspective on it and why you and Andy did that. So let it fly, Tano. Andy and I were a little older than all the other guys basically and we were fully employed which was an anomaly at the time because most of the guys were doing whatever they could do to play volleyball and earn enough money doing whatever to you know stay on the beach sure and so you know andy and i well me specifically i was three or four years older than andy but I had played a long time when there was nothing as far as rewards for playing other than winning a steak dinner or trunks or whatever. So the guys in Santa Barbara that were the promoters of event, I think it was event concepts. Is that the name of it? I believe so. Yes. They actually, I actually rented a garage apartment from those guys in Santa Barbara. They were located in Santa Barbara and, Probably through my playing at UCSB, those guys were Santa Barbara guys, and they fell in love with volleyball, and they saw beach volleyball and saw these huge crowds, mm-hmm. and everybody playing for swimming trunks or a trophy or a steak dinner at Chart House, and they thought, this is so amazing, and we think we can promote this as a professional sport. So they took their own funds, they took a sport that was nothing but recreational at the time. And they invested everything they had in trying to develop this into a pro sport. And they were charismatic guys. They were salesmen. Was Craig Ellidge one of them? I think so. Okay. And there was a couple guys. I, I you know, so long ago, I can't remember their, even their names. I lived with them just for a summer. Put everything they had into it, and it started working. They started with just a couple tournaments money and then they getting sponsors they got miller beer they got uh, i think it was amc jeep they got jose cuervo they got mtv they got all the major sponsors that ever really came into volleyball those were the guys that procured them you know leonard armado expanded on that uh sponsorship but they procured the actual sponsors Mm -hmm. and so i got to know those guys i really liked them they had they had everything they had monetarily invested in this league and it was going really well and it was expanding rapidly and all things were looking really good well leonard armado he was a south bay guy he was a basketball player and i was a basketball player so we had a history he went to uop esc and then uop and i was at uc santa barbara uc santa barbara so i knew him a little bit competitively through basketball 
but he was a South Bay kind of beach guy too. And he knew all the South Bay volleyball guys and he was a little older than them. And, and he had an in with them. And he, I think was, uh, Shaq O'Neal's agent at the time. Well, and, not at that time of the, uh, but later on, I think it was. Yeah. I'm not sure how that worked, but anyway, he had some success as being an agent and he talked his way when he saw the success happening with promoting beach volleyball it was early on and he kind of said hey you know you guys don't need these promoters um we can create our own association of players and we can be our own promoters we don't we can bypass them and he kind of talked them into having him represent them and try and take over what the guys in Santa Barbara had, you know, pioneered and established. And so right before the uh, world championships, Leonard and Kevin Cleary organized a players meeting where they suggested let's, let's us demand that the sponsors recognize us, get rid of these guys that they currently have contracts with, which was an events concept. We're the product, we have the leverage. Let's demand that we are our own promoters and we have our own in-house team that's gonna control things. And Andy and I, we, we heard about the meeting, they called us, we were one of the top teams at the time. And we said, okay, we'll go to the meeting and listen to what's going on. So we went to the meeting and it was a total clusterfuck. I mean, I got to say, Kevin Clary tried to run a good meeting. He was like really serious, trying to be organized. He was young. He did a good job. I got to hand it to Kevin. Leonard was trying to do his best, but it looked like Obradovich and Hovland and those guys had just come from a bar or something. They were having a food fight. They were like, it was like a frat party essentially at the meeting and we're t- they're arguing that they have the ability to run their own program here we'll just be in charge of it ourselves while well, Andy and I are looking at each other going I don't really think I want to be have these guys in charge our little burgeoning league that we're just trying to nurture into a pro sport I mean it was a joke they were like yeah, screaming and yelling and throwing cookies at each other and it was, it was a total mess. You know, the, the, those were the older guys, OB, Sinjin, Dodd, those guys. And they, it, they, it just didn't have the, when we were looking at them pro, uh, proposing that they run the organization, it was just a mess. Kevin Clary was trying to make it work and trying to have an organized meeting, but it really, it, it was just a mess. Okay. So Andy and I, we, afterwards, we just went, are you kidding me? These guys, we want to have these guys controlling the interest of the future of beach volleyball? I don't think so. And so we just decided, you know what? Elich and the guys that were running events concepts, they had started something from nothing. They were doing a great job. And yeah, I mean, they were trying to recoup some of their investment that they the outlay of money that they put into it and the players thought they should get the bulk of the money and whatever the reason is 
it was very short-sighted at the end in my viewpoint. So we decided, no, we're, we are not going to strike. We owe it to the sponsorship, number one. I mean, if we had not played, the tournament would have not come off. We were the only viable team. There were some fringe players. And it was obvious we were going to win the tournament. It was mm -hmm. never in doubt because the other top teams did not play. So it wasn't like we really felt like it was representative that we were the world champions that year. We officially were the world champions, but we didn't earn it by beating the other top players. And right, you beat Anderson and Stetson, if my memory serves me right. Yeah, and yeah, and they were they were good players, but they weren't top players. Okay. So we never viewed it like we were we were officially deemed world champions. We owed it to the sponsors, number one. If we had not played, their premier flagship event would not have happened. Right. It would have been a joke. And, and probably they would have pulled out of their sponsorship. But we, we put on a fairly decent event. Um, we won it pretty easily. And they had a big crowd that was a success. And the following year, they, re, they negotiated with sponsors and they took over, which was it is what it is um i don't i feel like those guys had a proven track record of bringing in great sponsors and subsequently leonard virtually he expanded in the amount of investment that those sponsors put into the event but he didn't bring in new sponsorship whatever i mean he, he just didn't procure any new sponsorship so anyway um so that's why andy and i decided to just play the event we felt sponsors were being great they were investing a lot they believed in the sport the guys that were promoting it were doing a great job and they had established something that from nothing and we didn't feel it was right to just go with leonard romano because he knew a lot of the top players and he was saying you know you make more money with us you know, he had proven nothing as far as prom uh, being a promoter. Mm -hmm. And and he was saying that Obradovich and Hovland and Dodd and Sinjin were going to be, you know, the main elements controlling how the sport was going to develop. And they were young guys that were had no experience in business, didn't have any jobs, didn't have any experience with handling money or making decisions other than whether to throw a fig newton or a chocolate chip cookie across the the <laughs> meeting agenda you know i mean it was a joke so we decided to play and that's what we did and looking back on it i mean we suffered a lot following that because the sponsors they really loved the concept of pro beach volleyball they loved it cuervo and miller and mtv they the whole scene just fit in perfect you know, they had the bulk of the players, uh, Leonard and Kevin, and so the sponsors went with them. So that was it. And I felt, I think those guys, I think a big concepts might have done one more year, and then I'm not sure when they were done, but it was pretty frustrating. So we both, you know, Andy and I, you know, we there were a lot of promotions we weren't involved with. There were a lot specialty tournaments that we weren't invited to and we took a lot of heat from the guys that were throwing the cookies across the room they were yelling at our wives and 
you know, catcalling, and it was it was really ugly. So it was a you know it was a terrible thing. We lost friends for a lot of years, and and both Andy and I, availability of great partners was really limited. We couldn't. There was you were a lot of years. basically a black sheep at that point in time. Yeah, there were several years where I was really at the top of my game and I wasn't able to play with really another top player because they were afraid to, from the peer pressure of a core group of guys. Until we resolved it years later, Andy and I, I think we just said, let's just get this behind us. So we reimbursed the ABP for the prize money or something. And you guys we got were, ten grand for first place, did you not? Something like something like that. And we we had a three years later or something. We had a subsequent meeting where we just said, you know, let's get this behind us because it was it was really a black mark on the whole thing. Everybody catcalling and doing weird stuff during tournaments, and uh, so we reimbursed the AVP for the prize money. And it went, I think it went to the subsequent, you know, tournament prize money thing. And it kind of got resolved. So then we could play and play with the other players. We're free from the peer pressure of not being able to play with Andy or myself. It was hard, you know, because for me personally and for Andy, I think Andy basically, I think in 85, he sort of semi-retired from the sport. He focused on business more. And I kept playing for a few more years, but the years there were, you know, I really felt like I was a very top player, but I couldn't get a partner that was that was at that level where, where I could challenge to win a tournament. I could finish fifth or fourth or third or something, but to win it, you know, I didn't have a partner that was capable of that. So that was pretty frustrating. But, you know, I made my choice and... You know, I stand by that. I think I made the right decision. Now, as far as crossing the picket line, uh, I've heard from some of the players that were on it and or played in that tournament that uh, things got pretty heated uh, about some of the comments made to you and Andy. And yeah, uh, we were we were scabs or whatever, you know. But we never viewed it like that. We, you know, we viewed it like these were the sponsors we had a we had an obligation to these were the promoters that started something nothing and we we played you know and i I think in retrospect i think andy and i just sort of made a mistake and not like uh supporting our point of view i think as older guys we were just so kind of disgusted at how the meeting went that we kind of just left and we didn't really go, hey, you guys, let's do this. What about a compromise? Why didn't? Why don't we, you know, see what we can do and negotiate or, you know, talk to some of the younger guys and bring them along to our point of view. And I think that was a mistake. I think we could have... Communicated better as far as where you were coming yeah, from? I think we could have brought on some of the other guys to our point and moderated the demands of Kevin and... Leonard Armado and at least postponed and made the transition a little smoother. I think we could, you know, I think we could have negotiated. That, I think that was a mistake. You know, we were young too. I mean, we were just, Andy and I were basically, you know, just a, kind of anti-strike and that didn't go over well in the meeting at all. So I think that was a mistake on our part. We could have 
had a little more leadership, taking guys aside one-on-one, kind of expanded on our point of view. You know, there was a big group consensus in there, and it was like party scene. It it wasn't an atmosphere where you could, like, discuss something rationally. You know, you guys went on to win the tournament, you know. Well, we we didn't win, you know, we won that tournament, but, you know, it was tainted, and it was like, it was, you know, obviously not a real world championship, but then the first the first tournament following that, the first major was Santa Cruz, which was the first follow up big tournament, and Andy and I won that was which was vindication for you good. ultimately. It, was, it made us feel good, yeah. You know. Yeah, and I think Andy, uh, when I interviewed him, mentioned that uh, he, you know, he had some kids at that time, and uh, he was playing a game with one of them, and his finger got caught in the door, and he uh, yeah. had a busted finger, and he was kind of worried yeah. about whether he could play, but he did, and you guys played and won. We are well, that. Really interesting. We he are that set, good. So we bump set the whole time, and then we ended up winning, which was pretty funny. But we had a great weekend. Yeah, I think it got pinched in the little door. He was like playing chicken with his kid or something. And he, had one, he had one of those swinging. Yeah, it was a swinging doors. Yeah, and it, he, you know, Andy just thinks he's like can time it perfect, and of course he did. He shows up with a busted finger. Well, it makes me feel better that even a Yale-educated guy, uh, yeah, in Stanford-educated, broke his so finger. Anyway. Yeah. So anyway, that's what that's basically the gist of it, and. It was it was sad, you know, because we had a period there three or four years where, you know, we lost we had we lost friendships and stuff over it, and it was and our wives suffered. They basically couldn't even come to the tournaments. Yeah, it was ugly. So and then you know uh, even volleyball monthly, you know, they were kind of Sinjin and Randy and Stoklos. I mean Sinjin and Stoklos and Javi Dodd fans. Uh, I forget who the editor was there. Um, he was a big kind of a wannabe volleyball player, but he big fan, and he started he started volleyball monthly, and we were kind of <laughs> eliminated from volleyball monthly, pretty much. So, <laughs> you were blacklisted, basically. Yeah, we were basically blacklisted. It was a, it was a bad period, and Annie and I didn't really love beach volleyball so much we probably would just have stopped playing we weren't going to let that happen I mean and guys like Hooper and and uh, who else John Stevenson wasn't so bad Leif Hansen you know there were guys that were just like god you know enough is enough but there was like the hardcore group and it's funny, you know, the one of the some of the most hardcore guys, Obradovich, Walmer, I ended up later on playing with, which was kind of humorous. Yeah, when all the big money came in later on, it's when, funny how everyone when forgets. A, when you need a partner, <laughs> you need a partner, right? Right. If I can win and make more money this weekend, I'm gonna put it I mean, in the back of my mind. I mean, money kind of dictates everything, you know. It's like kind of funny. I remember. Obradovich and I are both strictly left side players, right? And they had this tournament of champions or something. It was something where only eight teams got invited and was going to be round robin. Up in Santa Barbara? I think it was in Denver or Boulder or someplace like that. It was like $100,000 tournament. It was a big one, but with only eight teams, right? 
our normal partners that we were playing with, they didn't have enough points to qualify. So Obradovich guys decided, okay, well, we have points. We can only get in the tournament if we, like, drop our normal partners and play with each other because our normal partners didn't have as enough points as we did. So we played with each other. And then we ended up we ended up beating everybody. I think we ended up second or third or something in that tournament. You know, it was pretty funny. He played the right side, and he played great. And like we, you know, we beat Akatubi and Frohoff and Hanley and Stevenson, and you know, I mean, we it was unbelievable. He was like playing on his bad side, and we still ended up. You know, we I don't know. We ended up winning ten grand or fifteen grand or something. It was pretty pretty funny we weren't really a great team but that one tournament we i think we played one or two tournaments and that tournament we actually did really well but it was funny because you know you get in the strike and those are the guys that hate you the most and they're like yelling at you and stuff and then annie and i did the little payback thing and right away it's like hey you want to play in the next tournament it was like it was pretty funny so it finally got resolved and uh, i you know so that was that was good, but it, I mean, as far as my career, there was like four years there where I was pretty playing really well, but I, you know, I couldn't. Once Andy retired, you know, there was I played with Leif Hansen later, but there was three years or four years, three years there where I couldn't get the top partner. You might as well have been playing with Peter Horton, is what you're saying from side out. Well, I was, I was playing with Robert Chavez. I played with Robert Chavez. And he was a good journeyman player. Me, rest and, in peace. Know, he, he was like a he was like a ninth place guy normally, and we would several times we would get fourth or fifth, but we couldn't we couldn't beat a Hovland daughter, Sinjin Karch. I mean, they're so close to those guys. I mean. He couldn't beat those. And then once we settled with the monetary retribution thing, then I started playing with Leif Hansen. And, you know, he was he was a higher level player. And we, we did quite well on several tournaments. Did he ever give uh, any credit to his high school volleyball coach at Laguna Beach uh, for the artists, uh, Bill Ashen? I don't know. But Leif was a good player. In fact, it's, it's funny. We played in the first right when the strike was i mean right when the whole monetary thing and the strike issue was settled later on leif and i played in the first international tournament in rimini italy and we're playing we're playing we're doing great and it comes down to hovland and dodd versus him and i in the finals in the first international tournament and he hits about where he hits about the third ball and he dislocates his shoulder or separates his shoulder, one of the two, I don't know what. And so he has to hit left-handed for the tournament, for the finals. It was just so frustrating. But it was pretty funny. But, so, but Leif and I were a good team. But anyway, that's that's the basic story of the strike era, you know. Yeah. It was a bummer because Andy and I were a very good team and we had some very good wins. And But at the same time, he and I were both working so we would work during the day and come down to the beach around 4 30 or 5 and play for one or two hours and we weren't training to win tournaments we skill wise we were one of the top teams no doubt and we could win B 
beat anybody in the early rounds, but in the double finals or the finals, like you know, one time in Massachusetts or something, I think he and I beat Karch and Dodd to win the winner's bracket, but then they came back and beat us in the finals. It's just a question. We, were, we weren't training to be in condition to win tournaments. You know, we could, in the semis, we would oftentimes, not often, but we would fairly regularly, we would upset somebody in the, in the, in the semis Saturday morning, we would beat Hovland and Dodd, or we'd beat Sinjin, or we'd beat Hanley Stevenson, and then we'd be in the finals of the tournament, but we weren't in condition to win it which was really frustrating because we quite often most of our wins against Hovland and Dodd or Cinchin and Randy were in the semis not in the finals mm -hmm. and that was just a, a conditioning thing because we you know we weren't at the beach all day training we were working at our jobs and then we were older and we were not training to the same level as the other guys so it was pretty frustrating when you look back on the strike and what, you know, the majority of the players held out for, in hindsight, agree with some of the things like, you know, Sinjin and those guys mentioned uh, having control of the direction of the sport that they would have had with events concepts, uh, what ball was used, you know, those sorts of things. With Leonard, uh, do you agree with that at all? Like there's some valid points on why they did it, even though maybe they didn't handle it the best? Well, as far as the ball goes, yeah, Mikasa paid some money to use a shitty ball that nobody really liked. <laughs> that ball's wrecked so, Marshall. Yeah, made... I mean, they, maybe they paid a hundred grand to the AVP, which Leonard got thirty percent of, and we had to use this shitty ball that screwed everybody's arm up because it it was felt. It was like a a soft leather and. It absorbed water and it got really heavy. In sweat, for that matter. <laughs> yeah, and nobody nobody really liked playing with it. So, yeah, I mean, that was a negotiation thing. That was a, a uh, decision to get another sponsor. So Leonard did get Mikasa involved for whatever money they put up, but I don't think the players ever got much of that money. I think Leonard and maybe, maybe Sinjin did. Sinjin and... Leonard seemed to be have their own separate arrangement going because I know I know the sponsors like there was a period there where Sinjin and Randy would make pre-tournament appearances for money which we thought was a little shaky I mean what the hell you know you don't want the sponsors paying a specific team to show up to promote and get extra money. I mean, that's a favoritism thing. If some individual person wants to do that's fine, but you don't want the you don't want the tournament sponsor cutting them money. But on the flip side, being that they were the big names and the big draw, uh, and it helped all the other players make more money too. And if they played well enough, they would make money. That I think that in a sense, I can see that perspective on it. No. Yeah. Yeah. But I think there were, I think they could have promoted any any of the top four teams intermittently. It's not like Sinjin and Randy won every tournament. Havlan and Dodd won plenty of tournaments. Pat Powers and Johnny Stevens won plenty of tournaments. There were other teams that were 
they could have been doing those type things, but I think whatever. You know, I can see that. I'm not I'm not really it just kind of rubbed us the wrong way. Yeah, I can see that from your perspective. And then I also see it because that was the summer that I learned uh, the sport and fell in love with it as a 16-year-old kid in 88. And and uh, I can see the player's perspective from the that, you know, hey, if, you can make that money if you beat us. I mean, yeah, I mean, you can. You can if you beat us, if you're, you're, you're going to get that money. the NFL, you can just have Tom Brady be the only guy doing it. Right. You can get all the money. Or you can, you know, there's not just Tom Brady, you know, there's not just Sinjin Smith and Randy Stoklos, you know, there's Hovland and Dodd, there's Johnny Stevenson, there's Hamley, there's other, you know, you can spread it around. Right, Fro and Ack like, and all they, those they other their, young they guys. They had their own, well, Fro and Ack were, when we're talking, were, they were young, I mean, they weren't, they weren't winning tournaments. Those guys didn't really win tournaments until they teamed up with Karch. So, you know, I mean, Ack and Fro, in my point of view, they were some of the most talented guys, but they weren't trained. They weren't playing tournaments to win. They thought they could beat anybody, but they weren't really expecting to win. And when they teamed up with Karch, who expected to win, suddenly they weren't drinking a bottle of wine the night before. <laughs> they were going to bed at nine o'clock. They were ready to play. They were serious. And yeah, then suddenly they should have been winning tournaments two or three years earlier because both those guys were extremely talented. They had no weakness. They were strong at the net. They could set, they could dig, they, but they couldn't train because they were partying. And, and you probably asked them in, in retrospect, they were probably going, yeah, we'd approach the game like Karch, well, like we did with Karch. We would, you know, speaking for them, they would have probably won a couple, you know, probably ten more tournaments. In, uh, I don't know. If they, I don't know if they ever won any tournaments together. I think they won uh, a tournament in Calgary, and then maybe one in Santa Cruz, and they were the young lions. But I, as yeah, talented but as they were, they should have been winning a lot of tournaments. Yeah, but by those all guys, accounts, those guys, were, those guys were extremely talented. They also lived in the South Bay, and they were gods, and all their friends worked at bars, and it was hard to... They'd go to tournaments, and Andy and I used to, like, send them over bottles of wine. (laughs) If they were drinking vodka, we'd send them them over a Cabernet. (laughs) Because he knew they couldn't resist. They uh, they were drinking wine, and wanted to have fun. Especially when we knew we were playing them the next morning. I mean, I got to say, those, those guys were extremely talented. I think they should have won a lot of tournaments together, you know. But I think sometimes that happens, you know. Um, you know that happened with Von, with Von Hagen and Shamalas, you know. When Shamalas teamed up with Von Hagen, the expectation there was to win. It wasn't to, like, have a great night partying Saturday and do the best you can Sunday. It was like you're expected to win the tournament. And I think when they each of them played with cards, when you have the expectation, we're the best team, we're going to win, and you, if you want to play with me, this is how it's got to be. And, you know, suddenly those guys were winning, you know. Because, you know, i got to say, Karch was maniacal about as far as how 
he approached the game. It was there. He was there to win. Yeah. Yeah. I, so. And if uh, Fro, when he first started playing with him, wasn't uh, in shape to do what he needed to get done, he wasn't afraid to tell him. And later well, on with Ack. He would have dropped him. If he cramped or if he wasn't capable of winning, Karch would have found somebody capable of winning. Which he and did he, when he saw Steffes and how focused he was as a young kid, yeah, even Steffes, though he Steffes, had... Uh, Steffes was... was at, very serious about winning and he won the first tournament he ever won is against me in the finals Leif and I played him he and Johnny Stevenson in the finals yeah did uh, you did you see how good he was as a 19 year old kid though at that time and how focused he was and that he had all the makings of being someone that would oh, yeah. be as no, successful he's, he's, as he, he became in the sport yeah, he was six three or four, could set, a tremendous jumper, really talented. And that means that, you know everybody's. It's funny when you when you're one of these top players, you're always like looking for the, you know, you're looking for Whitmarsh, six seven to come along. You go, oh okay, he can set, <laughs> he's six seven, he can hit, you know, and then you know, Brian Lewis. Same thing, you know. I I was up in Santa Barbara, and he's in junior college, and I'm coaching the junior college team, but I'm playing in the AVP, and he's like 19 or 18, and he's down there on a Saturday, and I'm just doing just some training. I'm not really working out real hard, and we end up playing against him and some kid, and I'm going, hmm, this kid's really good here. And I should have snagged Brian Lewis because he was, you could just see, he was like way beyond what he should have been at at 19 years old. Right, I think he played in junior college at Orange Coast Community College and he had one of the scariest live arms I've ever seen. Yeah, he was, you know, and I was coaching at Santa Barbara City College, so I'm going, hmm, this kid's something, somebody to watch. And same thing, you know, Whitmarsh comes along, there's Brian Lewis comes along, there's Steffis comes along, and uh, Leif Hansen, you know, you, when you see these kids, because volleyball is a type of sport where you see these kids at like 18, 19, they're really good, really good, suddenly they mature. The light goes on. Ready. It's, you know, volleyball is not that, that, that technical a sport. You know, it's pass, set, hit. And if you can do that really well, you don't have to dig that good. You don't, If you can pass, set, you're not giving up any points. I mean, and you spot these young upcoming kids, and, and as an older player, like Von Hagen was the king of that. You know, he would like, and look at his partners, John Valley, Shamalas, Henry Bergman, Ron Lang. I mean, he would like, Greg Lee, he would spot if he was if his partner was like fading or not being serious, he would like if he saw somebody he thought he could win with bang, he would drop anybody and go to that person. 
He dumped Mengus before the Manhattan Beach Open when Mengus went out with uh, Randy Niles and John Lee and, you know, Kevin Goff, in my opinion, the best old school beach volleyball photographer ever. And, uh, hung out that week before the Manhattan Beach Open and Von Hagen then practiced in 74 with uh, Chamalis and said, hey, Jimmy, but in his sheepish way, uh, Jimmy, I'm going to play with Tommy this weekend. And that pissed yeah. Mingus off to no end. Even though Chamalis yeah. and uh, Von Hagen won, uh, that lit a fire under Mingus's ass. He became a lot more... Um, dedicated to the sport afterwards oh, which he readily admits Mingus used to cramp all the time because he was partying all the time he couldn't win if he couldn't be in the finals that was one of his things is he he was a great player and he but he couldn't last and then you know when he got more focused you know his that issue went away but von hagen i mean he was relentless he would an astute assessment of players and if he thought he could win with somebody he's he's won with a lot of tournaments he's probably won more tournaments with different players than anybody if i think about it yeah that would be an interesting stat he's won with john valley he's won with lang he's won with i don't know who always he would play with but he let he saw buzz swartz play in the tournament picked him up and they won yep he loved gage i mean i bet there's He's, I bet he's won tournaments with 10 different players. Chris Marlowe? I bet he could say, without even hesitating, oh, I won with nine guys, 10 guys. You know, without even thinking. And he won on both the left and the right. He went on the left and the right, too, which is really yeah. impressive uh, with uh, his prowess with that. And Yeah, he yeah. used to see Larry Rundle when they would practice at John Adams Middle School, and Rundle was a younger kid, and he would see him on the other court uh, playing, and he'd be like, that kid's going to be really good. And the other people would be like, oh, he's too short. He'll never be any good. And lo and behold, that's Von Hagen's. Well, Rundle was just as tall as Von Hagen. He's six one or six foot. I think he was a little younger at the time, but he had a growth spurt. But I think he was like five five and like ninety five yeah. pounds on his gyrus yeah. license. <laughs> yeah, Von Hagen. He, let's see. He won with Gage, maybe Schwartz, Schmalls, maybe Mingus. Lee. He played with Selznick once in Santa Barbara. They won. He played with Larry Rundle. They won. He played with Clem. He played with uh, a lot of players in uh, in one, and then one on both sides, which I uh, yes. I think gets forgotten that not a lot of guys can switch to both sides like he did. That's he true. was truly well, he a was, remarkable athlete. You know, he was the first professional player. Well, I would say Selznick and he. Not that they made money, but they they were played so much. Lang were the first like professional players in the fact that they played so much. They approached it like it was a professional sport, even though there was no money in it. They were training all the time. They were playing all the time. They were ruthlessly switching partners with whatever whoever they thought could win. Free agency in pro football or baseball. If you, think, if you want to 
win a world championship, you just go to that team. I remember uh, Chris Chris Marlowe making a comment that uh, I thought was always funny is that uh, he said uh, Von Hagen would drop his own mother if he could uh, <laughs> find a better partner to win the tournament with, and that's I'm that makes you, me I mean, laugh. That was the whole thing. It was just like uh, if Ronnie was suddenly finishing second, third, or fourth, you knew he was in the market for a new player. That's you know that was it. And, and and that's what pissed him off in 75 when the IVA came along and yeah, Tommy well, left and got five out. grand and you left and a handful of other players did. And then Gage had Reuters syndrome and then uh, Ron felt like the, you know, the... And Molly moved to Hawaii or yep. something weird. Yeah, and Von Hagen was Gage left, uh, you know, trying to find a, a good partner to battle these guys. And he loves Gage to death and considers him one of the best players that ever played and in uh, Shamalas and he was like and then Mengus and Lee went on their winning streak and that's still if like I've said uh, Von Hagen if you mention the IVA to him he gets pissed off <laughs> yeah yeah you know because a lot of you guys were gone and I don't want to diminish for, for me the IVA was six years from 23 to 30 I wasn't playing beach volleyball it's not it's hard to win after 30 you know when Karch is 23, all those guys are 23, and you come back at age 30, and you don't have one of the top partners. It's hard to hard to start winning again. So, yeah, you know when Greg when Greg and I Greg came back from the from the NBA, and I came back from the, the pro the indoor volleyball, and we were like, it took us a year. We got back to where we won a tournament, but it took us a year, year and a half. First, you got to get a decent seed. You got to build up the points where you're getting seeded again. Then you're so you're not playing all the top players in the early rounds. So it, you know, it took us a long time before we started being a top team again. You know, we that our last year of playing together. I think we won Laguna, and then we we beat Mingus and Gage in the world championships you know and i think we finished second or third or something i don't remember but i think they were top seed but we took them down which was we were starting to be a top team again and i remember when i interviewed uh the kid greg lee mentioned that was one of his three favorite wins because uh he was asking his parents for money because uh lisa was about to give birth and then you guys won that tournament and you guys got a check and he goes okay mom and dad you don't have to pay anymore the kid can be born and we'll pay for it (laughs) this wraps up part two of our multi-part interview with jay hanseth thanks for listening If you enjoy the history of the sport of volleyball, please make a visit to our website, which is godstoghosts.com. That's G-O-D-S-T-O-G-H-O-S-T-S.com. Thanks again for listening. Stay tuned for part three coming up with Jay Hanseth.
Thank you.